Greetings everyone, this is the Travel Addict Podcast with the host Malcolm Teasdale. Check out the website malcolmjteasdale.com. We look at business and we look at adventure travel. With business, we talk with people who have been successful and who are currently successful. Hopefully they can influence other people and drive them to be successful in their own way. We look at adventure travel to all corners of the earth, whether it's luxury travel or backpacking or going to places of questionable merit. We look at all of these things. Everyone has a story to tell. And that's what this podcast is all about. Stay tuned, everyone. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Travel Addict here, also known as Malcolm Teasdale. Thank you very much for joining me. This afternoon, I am proud and it's privileged to have Mitch Russo with me. Hello, Mitch. You're online there. I am right here, Malcolm. Uh, Privileged to be with you as well. Thank you. All right, Matt. Good. Now, Mitch, everybody, is is in business, but he also travels uh, like me. Mitch is ready. Everyone listen, because this is going to be very interesting. Okay, Mitch, we can start off with the business aspect of you. Now, your site is MitchRusso.com. Yep. And, right, and the first thing I noticed here on your website is a huge endorsement by Tony Robbins, of all people. Can you explain how that happened? Because, uh, obviously, out of all the endorsements you can get on business, Tony Robbins is probably one of the biggest, I would think. Yeah, again, you know, really... I think what surprises people is the fact that um, Tony is just an, a, a, a human being, a particularly nice guy, super smart, super productive. Uh, he's been incredibly successful. He's helped a lot of people. And I had the privilege of starting and building a company with him as my partner back in 2012. So uh, during the ups and downs of uh, – of a very uh, interesting but difficult situation, um, <clears throat> it turned out that uh, uh, you know he sent me that note, uh, and it was after a period where I had to go back and I had to work with some clients to get them resituated after after a let's just call it a, a personnel issue. Yeah. So okay. um, he he was awesome, and that that's like literally other than a spelling a small spelling change. That's exactly what he said. Okay, excellent. Uh, you know, he does seem like Mr. Nice Guy, I must admit. Now, did he at one time, I think, live in Fiji? Is that true? Or did he I has a resort that? in Fiji. I was always in Fiji. Okay. The reason I was there one year, and someone said, you come down to see uh, Tony. I said, Tony who? Oh, Tony Robbins. Well, I heard of him by that time, and I just happened to go there for work for a few days. But uh, I didn't realize that. So, But is he still there today? Well, he still has his resort, and of course, because of COVID, needless to say, things have been yeah. a little quiet over there. But um, you know, uh, he the resort is a place where he runs his retreats, uh, and he, I believe, he does rent it out to groups. I, I think I don't know if he still does that, but I don't, when, at one point or another, if you wanted to book an event in Fiji and they had space, Tony's organization would set that up. Okay. Great place, actually. People are wonderful down there. You know, wonderful scuba diving as well, I may add. Now, mm. I noticed one of your um, uh, phrases you use is um, your first thousand clients. What does that pertain to? Business, obviously, well, that... but what specifically does it? Just 
how to go about getting 1,000 clients. Yeah, actually, it's my podcast. It's called Your First 1,000 Clients. And the the podcast really is all about people who have achieved that and more. And the reason I do that is uh, several reasons, but the primary reason is because I know that a lot of smart, successful people like to give back to the community that they're from. Mm-hmm. And so I give them the opportunity to share their story and then I put them to work. I make them tell the story and share their wisdom and the lessons learned. Yep. Um, and he, even if they sell that information, I still insist that they share it with us so that people get a good feel for what it is that they do and how they did this incredible achievement of getting their first thousand clients. Wonderful. Is there any a spe- specific business type it pertains to? Well, pretty much anything. You know, here's what I find. If you stick to a particular business type, it gets kind of boring. Uh, but if you if you interview people from all different types of businesses, from all walks of life, I think it's much more exciting that way. And I think more importantly, um, you know, one of my skills as a business consultant is I, I draw from hundreds and hundreds of, of coaching sessions and, and over 100 clients over the years. And, and and that's individual clients. I had thousands of clients when it came to working with our coaching teams. But what I what I come to believe is that this cross pollination of different types of companies bring information that could be very valuable to somebody not directly in that business. Yeah. So and that might I, be. I agree with you. Yeah. And plus, I'm I'm, I'm thinking you've probably got uh, people who've done a lot of international business, so a mix of cultures there as well, foreign cultures. Oh, exactly. Correct. Which yeah. is really important, um, I think. Well. That's a good thing. It's a good thing to do. And if you can help people move along in life, especially during the um, era we live in here, you know, yep. and uh, I just wondered, uh, do you see this as a time period where opportunities are going away or they are there to be had, so to speak? I think this is the greatest time of opportunity I've ever lived in. I have had difficulty thinking about that. I just wondered because, I, I had a start. I was sold it in 2013. So I, I was done uh, for, for working at that time. But I just wondered, compared to seven years ago to today and with the pandemic going on, I thought challenges might be a little bit different. But I've noticed people doing quite well for themselves. And uh, it's good to see, you know, reinventing themselves, so to speak. So it's, yes. it's all good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, because how important do you see? It's a little bit different from seven years ago, but how important do you see social media playing a part in business these days? Well, social media is no longer optional. Um, and I, I think, uh, at the same time, the noise level is so high that your social media needs to be far more refined than, you know, cat videos and, and the typical baloney that people used to post. Um, uh, nobody in business posts that stuff unless there's a purpose to it. Uh, and nowadays, most people have professionally crafted uh, yep. social media postings. And, um, and, and so what ends up happening is that it elevates everybody. You know, nowadays, if you go to people like me who are business coaches and consultants and you go to our social media, uh, you're finding basically uh, our activities. Yeah. So all, all my podcasts are posted, my my testimonials are posted. I mean, these are all the things that we do to share what we're doing uh, on social media. Yeah. Yes, it, it is definitely uh, more important today, and podcasts weren't around 
So well, I don't know how long they've been around, actually, but they weren't around in my era, so to speak. Sure. Um, the face-to-face meetings were it, and you were compelled to do that, however far mm-hmm. you had to travel. Well, that's still important today. But, um, you know, advice for anyone who needs to grow in the social media workplace to promote their business, I've always looked at, uh, looked at it, LinkedIn as being the most sort of important one, but even that's become a bit noisy these days with, you know, mm-hmm. with political posts and whatever. And I thought, why? Why do the moderators, I don't know, the moderators just try and silence this stuff? I don't know, but there is a bit of noise. It's not like Twitter, but it's, you, you know what I'm talking about, right? I do. I do. And I, I think there's a part of this that, um, like, for example, um, we're living in, you know, in what I would call both interesting and potentially dangerous times. Uh, in the United States, um, we're, we're approaching what I would call the equivalent of socialism very rapidly. And, um, you know, for some people, this might be wonderful. For others, not so much. Yeah. Uh, for those of us who have businesses and who uh, prefer to be independent of the U.S. government or any government, these are not good times, or at least not politically good times. Yeah. For, for those of us who need help, and for those of us who have uh, the, a strong desire to receive um, income or payments from the government itself, then this, this might be relief for them. It might be better. Yeah. Uh, but what we do know is we do know that governments never <clears throat> offer money with nothing in return. So if our people are going to receive money from the government, they're going to want something. And it might be a vote. It might be uh, the the surrender of your freedom uh, or other things. that we Higher taxes. Pay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, indeed. I know you mentioned also on your website about radio, the importance of radio ad- advertising. To be honest with you, I don't listen to. I've got a, a Grundig shortwave radio behind me on my desk here. And I ought to listen to that more, but I don't really listen to radio much, but you still see that as um, important. Well, <clears throat> you don't. You probably haven't picked up your Grundig and and carried it into the car and put it on the dashboard and plugged it in to listen to your radio. Uh, odds are, however, when you're in the car, you're listening primarily to radio. If, if you're like most people, so we don't think about radio as as the old Grundig sitting on the table. We think of radio as what you turn on in the car when you're driving, and uh, right now, the statistics are, and they're down a little bit, about 92% of the population is reached by radio every single week. Is that right? So, that's right. Yeah. So the idea yeah. is, and here's the other interesting overlay, uh, 30% of the people who you can reach on radio are not on social media or the or the quote-unquote internet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I will look into that a bit more. And until you mentioned on your website, I thought, yeah, I probably will. I usually just listen to them. Growing up, I used to listen to the radio all the time. Right. I used to listen to cricket games on the radio, the commentary, which used to put me to sleep, by the way, I think. But anyway, it's uh, it, it's been a while, and I probably should just do that as you know, opposed to doing something a little bit different. And also on your website, you mentioned something about a company called Mindful Guidance LLC. Is that that's a that's an organization you had who have now? What's is that still current or or what? Yeah. So, so Mindful Guidance LLC is basically a corporate, um, a corporate environment for all of my activities. So all of my activities are, are 
and I and I also publish software for coaches, and I have, uh, you know, uh, coaching programs. All those things are conducted under Mindful Guidance LLC. Got it. So it's it's really basically how I fill out my taxes more than anything else. Yeah. Okay. You've got your hands in quite a few things here, so I'm assuming you're you're pretty busy these days. Well, you know, I I'm I'm sort of like you in a sense that I'm uh, I, I would call myself semi-retired. Mm-hmm. Um, because I really spend as much time as I want on whatever I want. Yeah. And, and I fit my work in around the edges, to be honest. Yeah. I think you've always got to be doing something. I know when I, I took early retirement, when, when my business was sold back in 2013, I thought, well, all right, well, fair enough. I'm not sure that I was ready for this, but after six months, I was bored. I had to be doing something. You know, and things changed as a result of that. So I just dabbled in stuff. And uh, then I, I like you just do, do stuff when I feel like it, but that that's good. Good. You know, it's important to uh, keep yourself busy and you've got this thing going, a uh, uh, consultancy and all that. Excellent. You've got a website called Mitch Russo travels and you take photographs. Uh, they're excellent. I've got on my monitor over here. I'm looking at your website and, and pictures of all these places. What made you become a travel photographer? Okay, well, I I I started photography when I was nine years old, uh, and it started the way I think a lot of people do out of curiosity. My dad gave me a little brownie box camera, and um, I then saved up my allowance and went to the drugstore and bought the uh, roll of one twenty seven film. And then two weeks later, I went back, saved up some more money, and bought the little development kit uh, that where you can. Basically, mix all the chemicals. They give you two little tiny plastic trays about this big. No, you're kidding me. You did all that? Yeah, you run the film through, and and uh, <laughs> and and I would hang it up downstairs, hoping that the that the my mom wouldn't bang it as she walked through with the laundry. Uh, and then finally, if once the negatives dried, I would cut them up and I put them on little these postage bigger postage stamp size paper, and I'd put them under the light and make a print, and I'd soak them in fixer and that would hold the image and that would be that smelled up the place but there was to me there was nothing more fun than doing that um and i just kept doing it until i got to the point where um i realized that i was limited in what i could do and so i i started to find ways to um expand and i and it, it wasn't because i knew what to do it was because i looked at the work of others and said how do i do that yeah and that really ignited my desire to go much, much further and um, and much deeper into the topic. I enrolled uh, while I was at university for electrical engineering. I enrolled at the New England School of Photography and I worked all day at school uh, on my engineering degree, which I never got. And I night I went and, be, you know, basically spent the entire nights till two in the morning in the dark room. Yeah. So. That's to me, amazing. In, yeah, well, it's. I've never met anyone who decided to do this themselves. Just to diversify, you didn't have a Kodak Inst- Instamatic, did you? At any time, remember those things? Um, the Kodak Instamatic was was in my remembering. It was a plastic camera that came later. Uh, no, by that time I had a thirty-five millimeter, a Minolta thirty-five millimeter Got it. camera. Oh yeah, yeah. A few people had that, and I had cameras all along the way. My camera today is this gadget. It's called an iPhone. And even though it's an iPhone 12 with a little bit of higher 
um, pixel count, it's it. And uh, apart from, I've got a GoPro camera as well, which I use for video. But I'm just curious, looking at your website, and these pictures are awesome, by the way, the quality of them. I'll ask you about a couple in, in a minute. What equipment do you use to get well, this type of quality? Uh, let's say I use a little bit more equipment than you do. Uh, I would um, hope so, man. So <laughs> I, I, I didn't read. If that's the case, I never read the manual on using this correctly. <laughs> well, well, but the thing about it, that's why I love the iPhone so much, is because you can get great results without doing much. Yeah. Uh, but, but the thing that I do requires different equipment. So, for example, if you look at my website, most of it, if you noticed, is taken at night. Um, yeah, that's when, when I do my, that's the work that I love the most. Um, and, um, and so if I'm going to be out at night photographing, then here's the, here's my confrontational issues. First of all, I have to be able to hold the camera steady for at least anywhere from 18 seconds to four hours. So you got to have a fairly high quality tripod. Yeah. Then of course, if I'm going to have, uh, the shutter open that much time, you have to have a very high quality camera because as you know, uh, the longer the shutter is open, the more noise uh, basically uh, transpires on the sensor itself. Yeah. So you, you, you really need to, and there are ways around it, but you need to have a high end camera to do the work that I do. Uh, or you need to find ways to mitigate the problems of, a low end camera. Like you can, for example, uh, create high end images with a lower end camera by using a technique called stacking. And so you can, I could, for example, get a five or six year old, I don't know, maybe a, a, a Sony A7R or a Canon 5D uh, or 5D Mark II. And at that point, I can still make the images that I have, but will have less dynamic range. Uh, and of course, I would have had to have taken that same image possibly 14 to 60 times to have enough material to then stack and noise reduce. But, and I don't want to do that. So I, I spend the money, I get the right cameras. Yep. Uh, and then from, from there, what my, what my goal is, is my goal is to focus on making images and not on technology. Okay. I got it. But this can take a while. I don't mean, I don't know what it means by stacking pictures because you know the sun moves the the we move and the moon moves whatever so doesn't it change you can't put one one on top of the other or does it change a little bit i i'm not sure how that's done but there's a meth there's a method to do it obviously obviously i'm not familiar well, with that sure there's software that does oh. it and the software uh basically uh aligns those images so that if like for example let's say Let's say you're dealing with a, uh, a less expensive camera and you're doing night photography uh, and you're taking a picture of the Milky Way. Um, well, um, let's say you want to take, say, four pictures in a row of the Milky Way, four or six or 20 even, and then you want to put them through the stacking software. The stacking software is going to align the Milky Way under all circumstances and then cancel out the noise pixels yeah. that would be present in each frame. And so at it, number one, it takes a long time to shoot all those frames. Number two, uh, it, you know, the software is, has a, a price to it. It's a little expensive. Not too bad. 
Yeah, that seems quite a clever thing to do, uh, really, isn't it? And I just want, like, obviously you mentioned about having a, a good uh, tripod or a place to put your camera for two or three hours and for, for whatever, for a particular type of picture. You don't stand there for two or three hours. What do you do? Just go and get a bite to eat somewhere or or what? Well, that's a good question. So so one of the things that I've done in the past um, is, first of all, I come prepared. Yeah. So I have um, a lot of electric clothing. Uh, I have uh, heated socks and heated pants and heated jackets, uh, number one. Number two, I bring, in some cases, not always, depends on where I'm going and how much prep I can do uh, or how much I can carry, uh, mm -hmm. I bring a chair, you know, a folding chair. Uh, other times I bring headphones and I watch movies on my iPhone uh, while I'm doing that. Other times if I'm my car is nearby, I'll set up in front of my car and I'll go back in the car and uh, and just – take my time as the camera does its thing well it seems almost peaceful doesn't it you're away from crowds at the time you're just in in a peaceful area so i imagine it's a, a pretty cool thing to do however i'm just curious when you go somewhere do you go specifically to take pictures or do you go to uh um, new zealand comes to mind I'm looking at a picture from new zealand here and uh can you tell me what that is a picture of but say going to New Zealand, did you go there just to take pictures or did you go there just to, you know, mix with the culture and enjoy, you know, the things that are to enjoy there or is it everything? Well, I, I go to take pictures and mix with the culture and enjoy the people I meet and the experiences that I have. But the primary reason for the trip is to photograph always. Oh, okay. You know what? It sounds like, um, me in a way, because the prime when I'm I'm hoping to go away in September to a place called Raja Ampat. I don't know if you've heard of that, but my primary reason for going is to scuba dive. You know? Right, it's in the mm -hmm. middle. It's it's a very small area uh, west of the island of Papua in Indonesia. Mm. It's very difficult to get mm. to, uh, yeah. but it's beautiful land there, and it's a pristine coral reef. So that's my reason for going there. I guess you know yours is uh, taking pictures now. This one, I'm looking at your website right now. You have these are great pictures, and everyone should go there. Mitch Russo travels and take a look at these pictures because I know you sell them. But what's that picture of New Zealand? What is it? I, I'm trying to make it out. Look, 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 it's from high up, but I, I may yes. be mistaken. Yeah. So first of all, what you're looking at is my gallery, and so you can click on any picture, and behind it are all the photographs of my trip to that spot. Right. Uh, that particular picture you're talking about. Uh, which looks a little bit like a blue tree on a green background. Is that the one? That's correct, yeah. Okay. So that basically are, is called the threaded rivers. And uh, I'm in a plane 10,000 feet above the threaded rivers. And I'm photographing from a plane. So that's that's really what you see. And uh -huh. the interesting thing about – and there's, there's an interesting perspective here is that um, – the, the the thread rivers themselves are very beautiful and all, but yeah. you have to get 10,000 feet high to appreciate the beauty of something like this. Now, um, I had not known what I was going to see when I got into that plane, but this is, to me, part of the joy of being a photographer is that you get to discover images that you might never have even imagined by simply being in the right place at the right time. 
but did you plan to go up in a plane to take a picture of this or did it just happen was spur of the moment thing no we we planned it we oh. we, we basically chartered a plane to do this hmm. excellent all right well it's it's a fascinating picture and the rest of them on new zealand are real good now next door to that on your website the reason i'm bringing this up is because if I do manage to get away in September, I'm coming. I'm going over the, the Pacific Ocean to, to get to Asia. But on the way back, I'm going by Europe. And one of the places I'm going to stop at is Ljubljana in Slovenia. Yes. And you got a picture there, and it it's, looks like a very nice place. Describe that uh, city for me, and it, it looks really nice to me. And uh, I, you know, I've been thinking about it for a year or two now. I'd love to go there. What was your experience there like? Well, Ljubljana is a beautiful city. It's a it's a city of young people, and that's part of what I love about it. It's a modern European city, and it feels yeah. like a modern European city. Uh, the churches are beautiful. the The people are friendly. The restaurants are plentiful and and uh, quite reasonable in many ways. I mean, it's it's a delightful place to be. But when you go outside the city, uh, you know you need to kind of remember where 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 Slovenia is, it's it's very close to Italy, and in yeah. fact, it looks a lot like Italy in many circumstances. So, on the home page of my gallery, there's a picture of reflected water, uh, a city on the water. That's not Ljubljana. That's I can't remember the name of that pic, that place. Somebody, I'm sure, will know it and shame me about it. But uh, but the bottom line is that you know, I spotted this the night before. And I said, oh, okay, uh, the, the perspective I'm looking for with the lighting that I want can't be done today, tonight, but only at somewhere before sunrise. So I had to be out there at about 4 or 4.30 in the morning in order to make this photograph. But I also had to plan it. So a, lot, a big part of photography is knowing just where to go and when under what conditions. So yeah. that's why it's you know you might it, you might be able to capture this with your iPhone if you did all of the pre-planning that I had done as well. Well, it's a good point because I managed to before I had the iPhone 12 I had the iPhone 7, right, which is a bit of a dinosaur now. And I've got a ton of photographs and to be honest with you, I'm quite happy with them and uh, it's nice to look back on them and to see the quality of yours and I thought, well, okay too late for that so my thought was well he's got these wonderful pictures has mitch so is there a way to make iphone pictures more high def i don't think there is is it you just can't do there it. is no oh, there is There's you can improve iphone photography substantially with a, a few small i don't want to call them tricks but a few small techniques um and i'll tell you how to do that in a in a, in, in a very simple way the first way is to Instead of shooting pictures in JPEG, which is what the phone does, mm -hmm. you could shoot your photos in RAW instead. Now, RAW, for many people might not know what that is. RAW is the image format of the photo. So when you take a picture on an iPhone and you hold it up to show it to your friends, what you're looking at is a highly compressed image. It's an image that has been squished and the the redundant pixels, according to the equation, have been removed. But if you were to take that same picture using raw format, there's no compression. 
all of that data, all of those pixels are present. And then what you would do is bring that into an image processing software system like Lightroom or Photoshop, and you would be able to work on that image, enhance that image, uh, intensify the colors or crop it or change it. Um, and you could do some of these things with the JPEG, but with RAW, it's like working with the negative as opposed to a copy of the print. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. What, um, because, because ultimately it's a file. What is a file extension of you know, that picture you take with the phone? It is, it's a, there must be one, I guess, or is it not? Well, it's generally JPEG. JPG and there's PNG yeah. and whatever. Yeah. PNG simply means transparent background. Yeah. Uh, JPEG is a compressed image taken from, uh, started with a raw image or a okay. full resolution image. So what is it when I take a picture on my iPhone, it's yeah. stored on my camera, what does it become? Is there a file extension to that? As it sits well, on? well, it, the file extension inside the camera, I'm not sure, but if you export it, it's likely to be a, a JPEG. It'll be exported as a JPEG. Okay. Um, it won't be exported as a TIFF or as a .raw file unless you use the software to do that. Now, interestingly, the iPhone 12 camera is very capable and can export a image in RAW format. And in many cases, um, those images can be made to appear, you know, as beautiful as an SLR image. But remember now, you have no real ability to do a long exposure on an iPhone. Uh, and of course, um, if you tried, it's going to be very grainy and it's going to be very difficult to get anything sizable from it. So even if you did a raw file image um, in its nat in native format, it can't be blown up much, maybe no. 8 by 10, 11 by 12. Yeah, exactly. Um, that sort of makes sense. Uh, okay, there is something. I'll look into that a bit more. Uh, it's got to be time-consuming, time though, I, I would imagine, to to do all this work. And uh, But that's what you do, and uh, i got to want to do it. But I've got a couple of pictures which obviously I took from my iPhone and now on my desktop computer right now, there is software out there that could improve it slightly, but yeah, but it's going to take a lot of work to do it. And Adobe yeah. Photoshop may help. Okay. Got it. Um, so that covers that area. Now what uh, with travel photography, what's your favorite landscapes you've experienced to um, take pictures of up to date? You've obviously been to some favorite places. You've traveled there. I think it's got to be awesome. This has to be a great place. What's your favorite? Well, I, I think the place that, uh, and this, of course, gets asked to me all, all along. Uh, a lot of people ask me, oh, what's your favorite place you ever visited? My my stock answer is um, my favorite place is the last place I just came back from. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, got it. But but, um, but I, like for example, the my true favorite places are the places I go back to over and over again. Uh, and that happens to be Iceland. Iceland is a place where uh, I, I first went as a guest uh, and uh, loved it so much that I actually started traveling there on my own. And then after Iceland, I then after photographing Iceland as part of another group two or three times, I then started bringing my own people to yeah. Iceland. And so now I take a small group. A very small group. It's not commercial at all. I don't yep. charge mm -hmm. anything. I only work with my friends, basically. Yep. We go as a group of uh, four total people. Yep. We rent a big Jeep, 
and I take them all throughout the country. And it's, you know, again, the pictures for me. I, so someone once said to me, well, when will you stop going to Iceland? And the answer is when I come home with pictures I no longer like, uh, then I will no longer go to Iceland. <laughs> all right. Well, yeah, that's good. I have um, a couple of recommendations for you. You may have already been to these places, but it's a place I've been to that, that I think the scenery is absolutely spectacular. I don't know if you've been to the Mongolian wilderness. I have a friend who runs trips to the Mongolian wilderness and has she has suggested, that just as you have, that I, I, I go there. And in fact, she would you know, be my guide, which would be wonderful. Yeah, it's, it, it's almost haunting, I can tell you. And uh, I came back with pictures there. It was, uh, if you thought what Mars could be like, this would probably be the closest thing to it. So spectacular. So that that would be definitely worth. Plus, camping out in the wilderness and playing with large birds of prey is going to be a, a great cultural experience. Now, Tibet, um, for obvious reasons, because of the uh, you know the buildings there, but also you like going off the beaten track in Nepal in the Himalayan mountains. You know, I've never been there because that, that that's some unbelievable scenery there when you get fairly high up. I actually ended up canceling a trip to Nepal. Uh, it was around the time, a little bit after the time the Chinese had invaded. So I canceled my trip. Uh, but however, um, the closest I've come to those types of environments, I've been to Japan, I've been to Myanmar, I've been to Thailand, and I've been to, um, to Bhutan, uh, all Asian countries and all incredibly beautiful yeah. countries. Did you get to um, climb Tiger's Nest up in Bhutan? Yeah, yeah you so did I. Um, yeah. yeah, it's a four-hour climb, but quite unbelievable climb that is. It's uh, you know, I, I want to go back and do it again. Uh, I'm gonna take the wife next with me next time. She thinks she can do it. There's no reason why she shouldn't. Uh, but it's it's quite um, quite a wonderful experience that is getting up to the uh, Tigers S Monastery at what ten thousand yeah. three hundred sixty feet and just being in the presence of that place is quite uh, unbelievable. Unspoiled land, absolutely uh, gorgeous. And so, obviously, you've been to quite a number of places there. And not only have you taken great pictures, you've experienced the culture as well. And so, it's all a learning experience, right? It's all always. It's all all good, all good. What's next for you? You must have plans to go somewhere. Not, I'm not talking about next week, but call it a bucket list, overused term, I know. But where would you like to go if you had to add something to your list there? Well, next week I am going on a photo trip, and I'm going. I'm going to the Southwest, the U.S. Southwest. Okay. And uh, I'm I'm traveling with a gentleman who lives in that area and has navigated through what I would call the uh, BLM properties, the the Bureau of Land Management mm -hmm. properties that are not most tourists are not allowed on. Yeah. So you might say we have a little bit of a privileged view. Uh, and so I'm excited about that because we're going to be doing a lot of night photography yeah. as well in the dark skies. Yeah. So that's that. And then in September, I'm going on a um, a trip with a gentleman who I've been traveled with before. I'm going to Scotland, again, a, a place I've also been to once before. Uh, and right now, I mean, we don't even know if we can get into Europe in, in September. So that's yeah, yeah. That's, who knows? Um, obviously, I'm from England. Uh, you probably tell from my accent. Uh, um, what a shock! I never would have guessed. You never would have guessed. I know. Yeah. Well, if someone someone asked me the other day, he said, "So where you're from?" I said, "The southern part of Alabama." 
<laughs> and they went quiet for a while. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, yeah, I, yeah, I'm a Brit. But uh, Scotland, I never went to Scotland until I left Britain to come and live in the United States. I went back yeah. there. And yeah. uh, then we just obviously uh, drove through Scotland. I played the old course there, but drove up to North Invergarry. And, uh, yeah, it's just wonderful countryside there. So, uh, yeah. And uh, obviously the further north you go in the in Scotland, the more incomprehensible the people become when you talk to them with the accent. <laughs> True, but this, but the Scotch is better there too. Yeah. It, oh, absolutely. I've got I've got one here in my. Uh, I've got a bottle of Glenfiddich in my cabinet here, which I have once in a little while. But yeah, you go to a distillery there; it's a lot of fun. Good people and uh, a great country. Pretty unique, actually. So yeah, mm. I might go back there one day. Hoping, hoping to get back to Britain. Um, hopefully before the end of the year. We'll just have to see. Things are opening up. The pubs are open as of today, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, they're back open today. And then it's things are fully opening up in June, June 21st, I think. But the pubs are back open. So that will obviously ease the stress of many people over there. <laughs> yes, of course. Yes, okay. <laughs> anyway, all, all good, Mitch. You know what? Keep on traveling and uh, keep on taking these great pictures. I'm going to look at yeah, I, as soon as you mentioned that, yeah, clicking on one of these uh, pictures takes me into a whole new range of pictures. Obviously, it makes sense. You just don't go to a place and take one picture or one good picture and post it. So I just need right. to look at them, uh, which is good. Now, I've got, um, you know, when this, when I uh, look forward to posting this, um, people can reach you from your website, uh, Mitch Rosso Travels, but it actually defaults to, um, another website, right? It homes into another one, um, Lens, Lens Traveler or something like that. Does that make well, sense? Well, yeah. The the thing is, is that the um, I just recently discovered that my Lens Traveler site, uh, also called Mitch Russo Travels, um, was hacked and it's being. Uh, I had to shut it down, uh, and so we're we're rebuilding it slowly. So I just redirected the URL to my gallery. Which is on yeah. Smug Mug. That explains it because it went on that. There's a warning. This this site is is uh, not private, so I, I figured something was amiss there. So anyway, so people want to catch up with you um, and look at your pictures, which are obviously well worth seeing, and read a bit about you. Those are the sites which you can go to uh, Mitch Russo and uh, MitchRusso.com or .org. Is it? Is it .com. That would That's my business site. And MitchRussoTravels.com is the photography gallery. Yeah. All right. Excellent, Mitch. Um, you're leading a good life here. Man. I'm doing my best. Bit of, a bit of travel. A bit, bit like me or my past life, but I'm itching to get back out there. And hopefully, well, you, you said you're going to the southwest U.S. So that's all good. And I wish you well in your travels and your photography. And, um, you know, you reach out, uh, send me an email anytime you want. And um, have you got any questions at all or any one thing you want to say to anyone who might be listening to this podcast? Well, I, what I want to say, and again, this is, this is sort of a general statement, but I think it's kind of important. Um, nobody um, ever gets to be good at something without a lot of work and a lot of time spent and I don't mean just time spent working. I mean, time spent learning. Yeah. And probably the, one of the most important things I ever did before I was able to make photographs like the ones you, you've mentioned and the ones you could see on my site is I studied other people's work. 
And it was very important for me to create my own perspective. Yeah. Uh, and, and I remember I was 30 years into photography and I still didn't feel as if I had my own perspective. And so it can take a while to come into your, your own voice when it comes your visual voice, yes. when it comes to making photographs. But there's a moment in time when you realize that you have and the amount of fulfillment that you get from being a photographer and, and basically using it as an excuse to travel the world and, and, and show up in front of Epic and hang out there and take yeah. your picture is, is beyond words. There's nothing more beautiful to me than finding these beautiful places and capturing them best that I can mm-hmm. with my camera. Yeah. And they, uh, there's a lot of stuff to see out there. And I'll add to that, and I've said this many times, whether some of the places I've mentioned is I live, I live on a beach. I'm in Destin, Florida, so I live on a beach here. And I can go to the beach anytime, nice beach, and um, have lunch on the beach and yeah. have a good day there and it's all fun. But it's the places you go to which is sort of off the beaten track, the places you've been to, the places I've been to, as obscure as they are. Those are, those are the memories that sort of stay with you uh, forever, right? And you, you see these parts of nature whether it's, it's landscape or animals or whatever. So I think people should, if they can, um, do what they can while they can. Are you like me? Um, we both travel when we can. It will come to an end one day. It will. And we'll be laying there. And I said, damn, I, uh, why didn't I go here when I had the chance before I'm lying in bed here, not able to move anymore? This is important to do so. So keep on traveling and enjoy Enjoy what you do. All right. Thank, thank you, Malcolm. And you do the same. Maybe we'll meet someday on a trip together. You never, you never know. know. You never know. But you'll you'll have to give me some photography lessons. I can tell you that. Well, don't, I can don't help let you. me start taking pictures with my iPhone. You got a deal. <laughs> All right, Mitch. Take care of yourself. Thank you. And, you uh, too. Talk man. to you again sometime. All right, man. Many thanks for joining me today. This is Malcolm Teasdale signing off. Before I do, please check out my website, MalcolmJTeasdale.com, for more information about my travels around the world. Okay, folks, talk to you later. Bye for now. Stay safe.